If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. Welcome back. This is episode three in our fourth season of the Trout Bitten Podcast. This season is focused on the three styles of dry dropper fishing, and we are here this evening to examine the second style, the one I call standard or bobber dry dropper. Now, you can certainly listen to this episode first. It does stand alone in defining this very specific style of fishing, but you might do better by first listening to the two episodes that precede this one. Episode one of season four is an overview of these three styles of dry dropper, and episode two covers light dry dropper style. All right, but before we dive headlong into the details of standard dry dropper, let's say hi to Austin Dando. Austin guides for Trout Pit. He does a lot of great photography work, and he's somewhat of an unofficial proofreader for the website, too. <laughs> he's even tied a few leaders for the Trout Pit shop, right, Austin? Yes, that was an experience. Did you enjoy that? <laughs> uh, parts of it. <laughs> Which parts did you enjoy? Uh, probably the beginning part. Because <laughs> we're not talking about like 10 liters. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds yeah, and hundreds at least of liters. 300 uh, of those different style of liters. I know you did. You know, it's funny. You mentioned these these couple of things. I was thinking about, yeah, I think I first found Trout Bitten and met you back in 2014 or 2015. Okay. And, you know, Trout Bitten more or less existed as a hobby and, you know, something yeah. you kept and enjoyed to yeah. think about guiding and the photography that goes along with it and mm. everything that is a business now. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's been neat uh, the last two years, especially to uh, have you guys be more involved with this, especially the podcast kind of changed everything. Mm -hmm. And dude, we're coming up to like, it's almost exactly a year. Um, I know. And, I was thinking well, yeah. about that too. Right. So you guys are involved. Heck, you were involved even with tying leaders. <laughs> now you're guiding for trout bit and, and, you know, revenue coming in from different places and able to kind of share that wealth. And that's a pretty cool thing that it is a business. And of course, you know, I got out of the music business and uh, right. these trout bitten avenues uh, allowed for that. And uh, it's been neat to watch it grow. It's, it's cool too, to see where it's going to go next. Yeah. I do miss those music days. The other day I was looking through some of my old photos that I took mm. and I forgot I had brought my camera into one of the local breweries one night, and I'd snapped a bunch of pictures with you and the guys, mm. and yeah. I uh, kind of relived those a little bit. I'll have to send them to you. Yeah. Well, uh, one with me, Ted, Jack, and Renee. I think it was you, Ted, and Renee. Yeah, it was at the uh, Happy Valley Brewing Company. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just as I did in episode one and two of this series, I'd like to read an excerpt from 
the Dry Dropper Style series that I published on Troutbitten a couple of years ago. These podcasts are based on that series of work, and this short intro is from the article titled Three Styles of Dry Dropper, Standard or Bobber Dry Dropper. So here it is. I fish a fly rod because it allows me to meet the trout on their own terms. Whatever they're eating, bait fish, nymphs, or dries, I can match it with a fly in my box. From a fluttering October caddis dancing on the surface to a crest bug crawling through green vegetation that clings to the limestone below, in one of my boxes, I have the answer. On the best days, these wild river trout willingly feed on a variety of foods, gulping sculpins and midges in the same lane. Big stuff and small, bottom to top. Now that's a good bite window. Commonly, we find trout feeding on multiple stages of a hatching insect, and we can easily adapt to this behavior with multi-fly rigs. A pair of nymphs or a brace of wets covers two or three zones under the water, reaching interested trout throughout the water column. And when both flies are under the surface, the rigging, casting, and drifting of these flies is pretty straightforward. But mixing fly styles, fishing both a dry fly and a nymph on the same line, requires a very different mindset. Good dry dropper fishing comes from understanding the strengths gained and the sacrifices made, from having knowledge about the options between these three different dry dropper styles. There you go. So what I just read, especially those last few sentences, very much reaches to the heart of the dry dropper problem. Right, Austin? Right. I mean, as we've acknowledged before, it's not as easy as just throwing a nymph behind a dry fly. Not if you expect to fish either fly very well. I mean, that's the problem, right? There we go. That is the problem. Again, and sometimes I even find myself, or maybe in the past I found myself, intending to fish one of these styles. Like yeah. maybe I, I'm trying to fish bobber dry dropper, but I'm really fishing light dry dropper or something like yeah. that. And I get yeah. frustrated and then I unbalance the weights and... Yeah, it is a problem, and uh, but we're going to talk about ways to fix it. Yeah, you've made the point throughout here of, of recognizing what you're doing, recognizing what your strengths and weaknesses are, and knowing what style you're fishing, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You just said it perfectly, knowing what style you're actually fishing at that given time. Yeah, and I said it in the overview. I went decades without really realizing that, man, there's there's really different ways to do this because yep. so much of what I read and I, when I talked to people, it was like, oh, you're fishing dry dropper. And then that was it. <laughs> it's was like, not like, <laughs> oh, how were you fishing that dry dropper? Yeah, it's so broad. Yeah, that's what we're breaking down here. Well, there's a few very distinct ways to do it. And then, yeah, we've said too, there's a lot of crossover between those styles. Yep, yep. Such a broad term with so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. And um it's a fun thing to break down in, into three categories that really makes yeah. it into bite-sized pieces that we can think about when we're on the water. Yeah, I think bite-sized is good. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're aiming for. So how about like a, a quick definition? Let's define standard dry dropper before we really break it down, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll start by saying it's a style that uses the dry fly to suspend the nymph below, which is why we very often call it bobber dry dropper. Kind of joking, yep. kind of serious. <laughs> right. Because, you know, when we use indicators, uh, thingamabobbers or yarn, whatever, it's a suspender, it's an indicator, call it what you like. We often just call it what it is if it's a bobber. And now we're yep. using that dry fly very much in the same way. That dry fly becomes the indicator. And the dry fly can still catch trout. You know, we're not just throwing it up there to be a bobber, even though we may yeah. call it that style. The dry fly is still meant to be a tool to, to put fish mm-hmm. in the net. Uh, right. But really what we're trying to achieve is nymph drifts and clean mm-hmm. nymph drifts. And the, uh, the dry fly is just kind of the catalyst to doing that. Yeah. You said before, and I keep referring back to this, the, you said the driver's seat. And with light go. dry dropper, you know, the dry fly is in the driver's seat. Well, yep. here, the nymph is in the driver's seat. We are That's trying right. to get our best drifts on the nymph. And treating that dry fly as if it's an indicator. We're going to fish very similar. A lot of the stuff we're going to walk through here is almost identical to how you would fish a good indicator style. Indicator with a nymph or two below it. Absolutely. There are a few differences, and we'll, we'll highlight those too. It's a nymphing approach, and the dry fly is there not just along for the ride. We're also expecting to get hits on that dry, or again, you wouldn't yep. attach it. That's right. Do you do uh, standard dry dropper much in the winter? No. 
No, me neither. I don't do any style of dry dropper very much in the wintertime. No. Because the only thing they're really eating around here in the winter on top is midges. <laughs> and I'm right. not the occasional midge. Yeah. I don't do that. Yeah. On the surface. The action isn't that good. No, no, it's not. You should just prospect with uh size twenty two <laughs> midges dry dropper on top. Maybe a Griffith snat, you know, go for it. Yeah. Really, really sink your teeth into it. Yeah. Then a twenty four zebra midge underneath. You do that. Do it all winter. See what happens. No, you go ahead and do that. No, no, no. You prospect. You go ahead. Uh, I think you're better at it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's talk about this standard dry dropper style a little more. Let's start with some problems. Whenever you're fly casting, there are differences. If you're fishing dries, you're fishing nymphs, or you're fishing streamers, the casting principles quite often remain the same. Mm-hmm. speed mm-hmm. in between two points, good crisp stops, all of that stuff. However, when I'm casting dries versus when I'm casting nymphs, there is a difference in the casting stroke. So when we have two things attached like this, and now we do have some weight in the nymph, uh, like which cast do we choose? Are we, are we right. using a dry fly cast or a nymph cast? You know, right. Two different kinds of strokes. So which one do we use? Great question. And that's kind of a problem. Let's highlight a couple more problems and we'll address them, right? Sure. Another thing to think about is, uh, it kind of plays right into that, but slack behind a dry fly is usually a good thing for us. We like to land that fly with S curves, give us manageable slack on the water to avoid uh, dragging flies. But if we have too much slack there for the nymph that goes under the water, that causes new problems. That's the thing. And that's another thing in the casting stroke and the delivery of the flies that can be a tricky thing to control. Right. Slack under the water often just spells trouble. Mm-hmm. But slack on the surface, if we're dry fly fishing, is exactly what we're trying to achieve, to give the fly some grace to drift with the currents and not against the currents, right? Yep. Yep. That's kind of the heart of the whole problem here. And that's why we were saying we loved light dry dropper because we were using a nymph light enough basically almost weightless nymph, and it didn't affect the cast or the drift of the dry. But here we are right on with a nymph that weighs enough. And again, I'm going to say it's 10 centigrams maybe or anything over 5 centigrams. Boy, any weight in that nymph is going to pull out your slack yep. uh, that you were trying to give to the dry. And now you just have to surrender to that concept. Okay, I'm not going to be able to put these graceful S-curves and necessary slack to the dry fly to get mm-hmm. those great drifts. Yep. Now, there are ways around it. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but that is a problem. That slack to the dry is gone for the most part. I think out of the three styles, this one kind of requires the most trade-offs in terms of mm. versatility and things that you can expect out of it in general. Um, another thing right there is getting your flies to land in the same seam. Mm-hmm. Right. We have a heavier nymph <laughs> on the bottom for the point fly yeah. and a dry above. And those two things move through the air and enter the water very differently. Yeah. And to try to get them to enter in the same place each time, that can be a challenge. Oh, yeah. We acknowledged in the last podcast that everything in one seam is how you get a true dead drift. Right. If you have the nymph that lands, I don't know, two feet over in a fast current and mm-hmm. your dry fly lands in that merger seam or just yep. all the way over right. in the soft current, well, they're going to fight each other. They're going to pull against each other and neither fly is going to get a very good drift. It's not going to be a dead drift. It's real, it really isn't. And aside from that, where they land on the surface, once that nymph, now it's a weighted nymph or it has some split shot with it. So once that weight gets down, you know, 12 inches, 24 right. inches, maybe 36 inches, three feet perhaps under the water, there are different speeds of current. You know, as you go down, the current oh, usually yeah. uh, gets slower. The current right against the bottom, we call it the strike zone. It could be right against the riverbed and then 6, 8, 10, maybe even 12 inches up depending on the substrate. Anyway, that strike yep. zone is going slower. And if that's our goal here for a nymph, and sometimes it is with the standard dry dropper, that's going a lot slower often than the surface current which is where your dry is. Great point. So how are they going to drift, you know, naturally? How is either one going to drift how it's really supposed to, you know? Yep. Yep. Another problem, right? Another problem. (laughs) But by thinking these things through and acknowledging that we have some problems or issues, things to solve, 
we can match the tactics to our objectives, I suppose, and the situation at hand, the river in front of us. And for the standard dry dropper style, it's really best suited to fishing the nymph first. We acknowledge, okay, you're not going to get fantastic drifts on that, perfect drifts, let's say. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get perfect drifts on the dry. Fair enough. We surrender to that. (laughs) And now the nymph is in the driver's seat. So for me anyway, I just concentrate on trying to get a great drift underneath, and I kind of hope for the best on the dry fly. There you go. And that's honestly my way of solving almost solving or or dealing with many of the problems we just addressed. That slack problem, can't get great slack to the dry. Okay, Mm -hmm. how am I going to deal with it? We're going to mend. Talk about that in a minute. You know, that's a big deal. The fact that the dry fly is really in a different seam or let's say a fast, the surface current, the faster seam than where I really want my nymph down perhaps in the strike zone. I I go, okay, that's okay. Dry fly is going to go slower. I want the dry fly really to be bossed around by the nymph or the speed of the nymphs. So the dry fly will kind of slow down. And I'll say, honestly, I think that sometimes is a real trigger to trout. And Mm -hmm. here's why. The slowdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, and you really can hardly do it any other way except by putting some weight under there, This, in this case, in the form of a nymph or split shot. Um, mayflies, you know, when they emerge, you've seen, we've all seen mayflies get to the top. They need to dry their wings. They spend some time on the surface to dry their wings. We talked about this in the hatches episode, Mm -hmm. hatches and strategies. That's I think season three, as they're drying their wings, they are kind of sitting ducks for the trout. And that's, I think why trout love mayflies so much on a good day. (laughs) And then we've all seen these mayflies sort of hop or start to kind of stutter across the surface. And for whatever reason, they tend to do that in an upstream direction. And so they kind of slide across the surface for, oh, just almost microscopically. (laughs) Eh, That's too fine a detail, but but very little. They slide across the surface just a little bit. They're almost fighting that current a little bit as they try to take off. And yeah, they'll hop up and down, but I'm saying it almost looks like they're swimming across the surface. I call it just kind of gliding or kind of holding their spot almost in one place, depending on how fast that current seam is going. Right. And so that this standard dry drop, any dry dropper style can very much look like this. The tight line dry dropper, we see this effect. Yes. And that's coming next with a tight line discussion. But with this standard dry dropper, we definitely see it too. And again, it's because we have enough weight on in the nymph or with the split shot that gets that nymph down into a different current. And now it bosses that dry fly around and actually slows it down. Sometimes that's a big trigger. That's great stuff. I really love what you said there. And I, I can't say I've ever thought of that or maybe paid attention enough to ever observe that, but I'm definitely going to watch out for that now. That slowdown, maybe see the uh, the dry fly set back a little bit, just like the bobber does or your dorsey yeah. does, and then see if that induces takes on some days. That's really cool. Yeah, that's exciting to me to see that. I remember seeing that yeah. first on a float and realizing that when my mm. dry fly slowed down is when they were eating it the most. Yeah. That's super cool. Not every time, nothing's predictable like that. But it was absolutely for sure that that was a yep. good trigger. Yep. It was a sulfur hatch. So many good things <laughs> happened during things. a sulfur hatch. Most agreeable things. You can learn a lot. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy your nymphing rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered. And our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to the tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. This September, Smith Creek is releasing two new products. Check their website to see the new tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from high-quality billet aluminum and anodized in one of two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a patented spring-loaded plunger design that is easy to load and keeps your spools right where you need them. 
All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. So when we think about dry dropper, probably what we're talking about tonight, bobber dry dropper, standard dry dropper is the most common among the three, or at least in general in the fly fishing community. When we hear dry dropper, we probably also hear hopper dropper in the back of our heads. Mm. And that's the idea that there's a a somewhat fairly strong, buoyant dry fly floating, uh, a decently weighted nymph below. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you think, comparatively to the other styles, you think this is one of the easier ones or the harder ones? Huh. I do agree that it's the most common, but I actually think it's the hardest one to get good drifts Mm. on. We walked through light dry dropper and why that, you know, very much favors the dry. And I feel like I get great drifts almost the whole time I'm fishing light dry dropper. I really do. And when I'm fishing tight line dry dropper, I feel very much in control of what lane the nymph and the dry land in and the speed of everything. And I'm in contact. Yes, it's a short range system, but I have control over everything at that short range. But even if I take Mm -hmm. the standard dry dropper at short range, I feel like getting things to land in the right place. And then to have the kind of contact that I wish I had with the nymph is difficult. And to get, well, good, anything close to good drifts on the dry fly, again, more difficult. I think it's the hardest style. What do you think? Yeah, I actually, I would agree with you too. And the more I thought about it, the more I agree. There's a decent amount of things going on. One, there's the weight of the fly line to deal with Yeah. in general. We can't, at least I can't, disregard the weight of a fly line outside the guides. Of course. So we have the unrolling uh, weight of a fly line pushing those flies out to a target. We have the weight of a nymph on the very end and sandwiched Mm -hmm. between is Mm. a dry fly. Yeah, yeah. And to get all those things to play nicely with one another and land with the right amount of slack and, and, you know, the the nymph to tuck in just right as well as the dry to follow suit and land in the same seam, it gets really hard. Mm. And I think that's another reason why we can get frustrated with dry dropper and thinking, okay, I'm going to fish dry dropper. I'm going to go to this setup. Uh, My dry fly is sinking (laughs) or uh, my nymph won't go down below four inches of the water or something Mm. like that in, Mm. in cases where we want it to. So, yeah, I would have to agree that out of the three styles, the standard dry dropper is the most difficult. Yeah, yeah. I like what you said there. There are really drastically different elements there. The fly line, then the leader, and at the very end is the weight or the nymph, and in between sandwiched, as you said, is the dry fly. So let's talk about rigging options. There's a lot to this because you can make many different leader styles and how you tie on the nymph and all of that, you can make many different things work, especially with the leader, the base leader itself. But let's run through our own favorites. I mean, that's kind of what we're here to do, to tell you how we like to do the things, right? (laughs) So I'll say, I I mean, I really have. I've tried everything, and I still do. I'm out there constantly messing with leaders and rigging because I just, I like testing things out. And so what I'll talk about here really has come from a lot of trial and error. I promise. <laughs> There's almost no leader style for sh- well there is no leader style that I've that I haven't tried. <laughs> He's telling the truth. That's true, yeah. There are thousands I'm sure of leader formulas and I haven't tried every formula. <laughs> so most often I use my suspension leader for standard dry dropper. It's what I call my suspension leader. It's a hand-tied leader that tapers from um 20 pounds maximum chameleon down to 8 pounds chameleon. Then it includes a foot and a half of gold strand for some visibility. Kind of acts as a sighter. And after that, it's about two or three feet of tippet to the dry fly. And then another tippet section long enough to get the nymphs where they need to be. Now, I know I just breezed through that. I'll say I'm going to include my favorite suspension leader that I use for this standard dry dropper in the show notes themselves for this podcast. And then remember, for Each Trial Pit and Podcast, there is a companion article, a full article that often provides, well, that always provides many resources. Because remember, there's a lot of branches to Trial Pit. And so there's always articles to back up and give you more information about the stuff that we're talking about. And yeah, I have a full article on this favorite of mine, suspension leader that I just ran through. What about you, Austin? What's, What's your favorite leader for this style? I have fished this same leader setup that you're talking about because I learned it from you. I've not done as much tinkering in the 
the topic as you have, of course, but... You're a younger man. Yeah. I have more time to put in before I come up with thousands. <laughs> but um, in the meantime, I'll keep trying. I'll tell you what, I've used variations of the Harvey, you know, yeah. with those sections at 20 pound. For sure. That tapered down. And maybe sometimes I'll shorten it up a little bit or change the terminal sections uh, slightly. But I fish something pretty close to a Harvey yeah. most of the time when I'm fishing this style. I do it a lot too. You know, speaking of kind of that butt section there. Yeah, yeah. What I, I touched on a little bit is the key is that it's tapered. And, you know, we want it stiff and powerful, but not so much that there's, you know, a lot of drag on the surface either. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. And most people would take a standard fly shop extruded, you know, extruded leader, not hand tied and, you mm -hmm. know, run their dry dropper that way. And that's good because it's powerful. But what you said there right. is with power, well, comes thickness and then thickness on the water, well, drags a lot more. Think about the extremes right here. If you just put 5X on the water, it doesn't drag nearly as much as something that's uh, 25 pounds. Yep, yep. Boy, if you don't believe me, test it. You know, put that on the surface and let that drag. Oh, there's so much more surface drag on 25 pound versus, you know, 5X. Absolutely. So that butt section in, in the Harvey that you use is not that much different than my suspension leader. I use a 20 pound. And for me, the Harvey leader starts at 15 right. pound. Is it that much different? No, not that much. But I do like a little bit more push, a little bit more power if... I plan on doing the standard dry dropper for a very long time. These are sort mm -hmm. of slight differences. We're kind of getting down into the weeds here, but right? That's our butt section. And for right. me, like you said, I like to taper it. And for me, I like to keep that power in it to really punch things maybe through the wind or, or use a very buoyant dry fly. And that often has a lot of air resistance. So I want to punch it. And sometimes, sometimes I feel like that Harvey can be a little underpowered. That's really the design of the Harvey is yeah. to be underpowered yep. and to not turn all the way over and to, to give you that, those lagging curves, as I call them. Yeah, it's a little reserved, isn't it? Yeah, nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you said uh, you touched on your cider there, and that's mm. something that's also pretty different or at least not too orthodox. Could you talk about the cider and how you chose to do that and what it does for you a little bit? Yeah, well, that came in through kind of designing a suspension leader. And again, just an, uh, an indicator leader. When I plan on throwing indies and not tight line to those indies, but throwing fly line and then throwing a leader that's, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 feet long. I wanted a mm -hmm. butt section with power, great. But then before I got to my indicator, you know, I decided mm -hmm. to just kind of keep a cider in there. And even though that cider is usually, usually going to lay on the water, um, why not have a colored piece of monofilament in there that I could see? Because then I could see where yeah. I, I need to mend next. I think that's part of the trouble with mending in general. Uh, quite often, we don't know precisely where our leader is on this side of the dry fly, this side of the indie. So how should we mend it? Now, of course, the nice. longer you fish, the more you are going to know exactly where your leader is, even though you usually can't see it. But what I'm saying is, if you add something like gold stren or, I don't know, almost any kind of visible monofilament yep. behind on this side of the indie or the dry fly, then you're going to see it laying on the water. And sometimes I'll even have that cider off the water. If I can be close enough, sometimes that's off yeah, the water. Right. And again, right. it lets me know, oh, yeah, I am. I'm off the water. Oh, I can pick that up even a little bit more. So having a yeah. cider in there with the suspension leader never really seemed to make a difference for how, uh, how the trout were going to eat the nymph underneath. It certainly didn't. Mm -hmm. They didn't care. And then what I realized, too, is as long as it was two feet, I'm going to say two feet away from the dry fly, Trout didn't care about that either. Again, it's not the That's brightest monofilament I can find. It's gold strand, which is pretty yeah. subtle for a colored line that you can see. Yeah, that's definitely worth mentioning too, because what we'll talk about next week is you know, the tight line dry dropper. And depending on the situation, sometimes when I'm casting that rig, I'll lay line down on the water. If it's yeah. directly above me, if it's at a certain distance before I pick up the slack, that cider will sit on the water yeah. and it'll do exactly those things that you just mentioned. And you can see it when it's laying on the water. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And then yep. you know stuff. when you need to pick it up. You know, as it's coming back your way, you kind of go, oh, I can pick it up now. Oh, I should yeah. have picked it up sooner. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So you can skip 
in my leader formula, whatever. You can skip that cider section. And yeah, I do use the Harvey quite a bit, especially if I'm fishing light dry dropper and then I go, all right, I I can't get them in this upper part of the water column, so I'm going to get deeper. Well, now I kind of, you know, I put something on like a size 16 tungsten bead pheasant tail. Great. Now I'm Mm -hmm. 12, 15 centigrams and I acknowledge, okay, I'm not going to really be fishing light dry dropper anymore, but I'll stick with the Harvey leader that I had on. It has plenty of power to punch things around how I want it and place things how I want them. Right on. I use the Harvey a lot. And that does not, for me, it doesn't have a piece of gold strand in there. (laughs) Although sometimes I do. (laughs) <laughs> I have a, I have two Harveys in my vest right now that have a gold strand in the middle. <laughs> I carry so many liters. You do. You do. So that's sort of the cider section. And then the tip it to the dry is the next thing that happens. That's the next uh, piece. And well, in my suspension leader, that's 3X. And it's where I would slide my suspender up and down. But here we should acknowledge mm-hmm. with the dry fly, one of the downsides of dry dropper is that you no longer have a slidable indicator. Your dry fly is not going to be slidable up and down. I'll quickly acknowledge that I actually have a system for sliding it up and down for a slidable dry dropper system. And it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty yep. good, but it's a little finicky and it takes a little while to set up. If I want to take that time, I do it. It takes three or four minutes, but quite often I accommodate the system in other ways. But anyway, in general, your dry fly is not slidable up and down the rig. Right. So after the tippet to the dry, we're going to have to talk about, you know, the tippet to the nymph. Yeah. And what do you do? So leading to the, the nymph, I have uh, one diameter tippet under the water. Yeah. Beyond um, the dry. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Leaving off the dry. It doesn't have to be a, a certain diameter. It could be four, five, six X. Sure. As long as it is one diameter, that's kind of the key there. And uh, especially I, in such yeah. a short span mm. of depth that we want to achieve. Yeah. In reality, there's not a whole lot of good reasons to combine multiple tippet sections just yeah. to throw it down below. Yeah. Um, all the taper and everything else is already built into the leader above in the yeah. standard or you know suspension style uh, tri fly leader. Yeah. So all we really need to do is send one diameter down below. Yeah. With one diameter, you have the currents then pushing on everything equally. If you run six x, five x, four x, and then three x, you know, up to your dry fly, you know, the currents are just going to push on them at different rates and it seems small but it's a big deal so i'm with you one diameter under the water gives you the best chance of having a a tippet that just kind of slices down through the water so the the current will have the least amount of effect on one diameter right and i think that's important to reinforce again because at the beginning of the podcast tonight we we talked about some of the main problems and the main problems is getting the flies to land one in the same place and then two kind of act simultaneously with one another Yes. And the more diameters we add, the more we hinder ourselves in achieving that goal. Ah, so. that's it. You're right. I mean, that's a good point to make about going back to the problems. And here, that's what we're trying to do. Yep. You know, we acknowledge some of the problems in the beginning. And now we're kind of maybe trying to find some solutions to those problems. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the trout bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angle, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. 
So these elements of leader design can be transferred to whatever leader you choose. Like I said, you can use a store-bought extruded leader. It's going to work mm-hmm. fine, especially if you understand your goals here. Um, it's a starting point you know, for your own exploration. And as long as you think about your goals and you understand the tool in your hands and kind of how to use it, you're going to be fine. I don't think that with this standard dry dropper, you need to have any one specific leader. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'm with you there. You do want a leader that mends easily because as we said, you're not going to have nice S curves to the dry fly. Now the way to take the, the tension off that dry is with good mending. So once the flies are on the water, you want to be able to throw those reach mends and stack mends to mm-hmm. feed slack mm-hmm. now to the dry and extend that drift into any kind of reasonable length. And two, if, you know, if we are mending a lot or we find ourselves mending a lot, yeah. things can kind of get waterlogged on us too, especially at distance. Yeah. And one way to kind of alleviate that is to add some sort of grease or float into the line yeah. that keeps it up on top of the surface keeps that surface tension high so it's not sinking or settling down below. Right on. And allows us to just easily throw those upstream mends or those stack mends you just talked about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Greasing the leader makes a big difference. So what about flies, Austin? So attaching the flies then. So going off the nymphs here, you know, we can fish one or two nymphs, mm. um, either weighted or unweighted. That If you're fishing an unweighted nymph, you can add split shot to the rig. Yeah, um, split shot is so underutilized these days that might be the biggest change or one of the biggest changes i've seen since i started fishing people just don't want to fish split shot and ah, i think it's a mistake because it's <laughs> such uh, a useful tool sometimes it's the right answer the best solution i mean it's a great option you can have weighted flies or split shot it, it almost doesn't matter yeah and we're rigging these flies we can uh, we can do it a couple different ways we can either rig the, the nymph yeah. directly in line with the dry, or we can run a dry on a tag and uh, drop below on a regular point fly. Sure. Almost nobody thinks about putting the dry fly on a tag. And we're going to talk about <laughs> that a lot in the uh, tight line dry dropper right. episode coming up next week. But yeah, you could do it here too with standard dry dropper. Yeah. You could go in line off the bend like we talked about before, and you can go back out of the eye. Those are all fine ways to do it. So our dry fly now needs to be something that can support some weight underneath. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't use too small of a dry fly. I can't use a real small comparadon. Um, I can't, I've been using a mole fly a lot lately, but not Mm -hmm. for a dry dropper fly. So while that real little CDC puff on that fly can just barely support the fly, it certainly cannot support an attached nymph below. Right. So you have to have a buoyant fly if you're going to suspend any kind of weight underneath. And you can have a really buoyant fly, like a hopper, mm-hmm. if you want to put a lot of weight underneath. And that's, you know, that's an option for you. Yeah, there's that, uh, I guess you could call it a sacrificial mm. or, or something they're, they're, in reality they're going to eat. I know I have some friends who compete and they're not allowed to use bobbers. Yeah. So they'll tie these uh, incredibly buoyant dry flies, they call them. And, <laughs> you know, they're not expecting in reality to catch anything on that dry right. fly. That's a sacrificial right. fly. Yeah. You can go that route. That's a good point. Or you can put on a, an overly hackled caddis or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And there you go. There's something realistic food form. It may be a bit dramatized, but there's a chance they're going to eat it. Yeah. I use a lot of parachutes, um, a yeah. lot of clink hammers. Again, another parachute style. I do use a lot of CDC and elk. Surprisingly, if you keep that CDC dry with a desiccant, they will suspend quite a bit of weight underneath. So that's the dry flies. And then the nymph options, again, like you can choose whatever nymph you like. We said with the light dry dropper, boy, you're not going to throw stone flies. But here, okay. You know, if you got a dry fly that will support it, great, do it. Um, Split shot, two flies, I suppose three nymphs, I mean, if you want. Boy, then you'd have four four flies on, wouldn't you? (laughs) I've never done that. But yeah, I, I often will put two nymphs and even some split shot in between those nymphs. So now I have one, two, three, four things on the line. Whatever works. Boy, that in terms of rigging, you know, the more time you spend tying all that, okay, fair enough. But then when you hang it up in a tree, now you got to tie it all again. So <laughs> some, you know, if you're not super fast with those knots, sometimes simplicity is the answer. Maybe just go dry fly, 
and then a weighted nymph underneath. That's definitely the simplest, right? Yeah. And if you're not used to this already, it's probably best to do that to start. Sure. And then you have a chance, at least, of everything ending up in one seam. The more things you you attach to the line, (laughs) the more chance you have of everything right ending up in a different seam. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about fishing it, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about the rig. We talked about the leaders and the flies. How do we fish it? How do we fish it? It's a big question. We talked about a lot of problems. We've tackled some of those problems. And we talked about the casting style as being sort of the first problem. Depending on how much weight it is, um, I'm usually using a dry fly casting style. Here's what I mean by that. Okay. I still want my 10 o'clock, my 2 o'clock. I know that a lot of people will tell you just sling the weights around. But usually, I'm not needing that much weight to get down in, oh my, I'm just going to say one and a half to three feet of water, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's where I'm using this style the most. Sometimes the four to five, not six. I'm hardly ever using this rig for six feet. Yep. Fair enough. It can work in that. I will use this dry fly casting style. And that doesn't mean I'm false casting a lot, but it does mean that at 10 or 2, whichever one, then I'm going to stop. I'm going to let the whole leader unfold. My loop, my good, crisp, tight casting loop unfolds. And then I want the nymph to hit first. I really do. I want the nymph to hit first. This fly is often, fly or split shot is often heavy enough that I can see that little splash. It goes down in, it hits the water first, and then there goes my dry. That is, to me, it's a critical thing to understand. I don't want to just lob the weights around and just kind of throw things and hope for the best. What I just described is the way to have the best control. Now, technically, it's a tuck cast. Anytime I get everything to turn over, yeah, and then the nymph goes down in first, there's my tuck cast. Nymph, and then where do I want the dry? And I have some control over that with this standard dry dropper setup. You do that too? I do. And um, something I'll do kind of towards the end of the cast, once that fly or once the leader totally unrolls and that uh, nymph is headed towards the the surface, I'll lift the rod tip up slightly and kind of kick the dry fly up in the air. And it adds that extra little bit of tuck and shoots the the nymph down. And as it's doing that, I'll kind of simultaneously use that uh, nymph entry as some sort of anchor for the dry fly above. And then I can mm-hmm. either kick the rod tip over to the right or left, depending on which uh, seam I'm aiming for, yeah. and allow the dry to uh, still drop in the same seam and be fairly uh, unaffected by those things. You know what I mean by that? I do. That's a very advanced thing. I think that's all right. You know, we've acknowledged <laughs> that with most of these trout and podcasts and really a lot of the material that I write and that we talk about, we're not really going for basics. And although we laid out a lot of the basics here, what you mm-hmm. just described is a very advanced thing. So if anybody out there is listening and you're having trouble with it, that's okay. We had trouble with it. I had trouble with it for decades. <laughs> yep. That's okay. But you kind of know that advanced level that you're shooting for. And what you just said is it's tough to get. And yet all of a sudden with, I don't know, thousands of hours on the water, perhaps, <laughs> you're going to get it. Maybe just hundreds, maybe just 10. I don't know. You're going to have a good yep. day. All of a sudden, yep. stuff locks in. Honestly, if I had understood what I'd be trying to achieve in the first place, it wouldn't have taken me decades, you know? And I guess that's sort of the cool part of these podcasts and the information that, you know, we're trying to put out there. Cutting learning curves. Yeah. With that tuck cast, you can kind of create some slack then to the dry fly too. Mm -hmm. Um, It depends on how you line everything up. And then you can get a little bit of slack, a little bit of S curves, a little bit of grace to that dry fly. It might last for a couple seconds adrift. And then maybe mending isn't necessary right away. But honestly, with this method, as we're saying, mending is necessary. And when I'm doing this style, I know that it requires mending. So I often choose a casting angle. Let's talk about that. Instead of Mm -hmm. going straight upstream, like I often do, or just upstream and over one rod length, which is really my preferred angle of attack, let's say, whether I'm nymphing or or I'm fishing dries, or a lot of times even streamers, upstream and over one rod length. That's kind of my default. But instead of doing that, with this standard dry dropper, I'm all often going upstream and over like, like 45 degrees, or two, even just straight across stream. 
Because sometimes that's the best way that I'm going to be able to mend and mend again and mend again Mm -hmm. and keep the tension off of that dry. I do a lot of what I call hop mends. Sometimes it's hop after hop after hop, multiple mends to keep that tension off the dry and allow then the nymph to be drifting down there, hopefully very naturally in one seam. Yeah, yeah. And what you just described, I mean, that could be a pretty long drift, right? Good point. Yeah. This is the method that gets me the longest drifts if I want them, if I set it up right. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go 45 degrees upstream and drift it past my position and even end up 45 degrees downstream, just like I often do with an indicator style. As we said, so much of this is just about kind of understanding how to fish an indie style the right way, the best way. And then we just transfer it over to this dry dropper style. Right. And we alluded to this a little bit earlier, but if we do have a cast that eventually, let's say the slack gets taken out of the nymph and it goes tight to the dry, we'll mm-hmm. see that uh, on the surface when the dry kind of sits down a little bit, like you talked about. Oh, yeah. It can sometimes be a trigger. And yeah. we see the same thing when we talk about fishing a bobber, fishing an indicator. When that suspension device receives the payload, as you say, mm. you see yeah. it, it kind of sits up. The dorsi will, will shoot up and look like a flag. The bobber will kind of sink down a little bit and settle. Yeah. And the dry yeah. fly will do the same thing. And when we see mm. that, it's telling us the same information that a bobber or a dorsi would be saying. We're tight yeah. to that uh, nymph below. There's not a whole lot of slack going down there anymore. If something takes it or if it touches anything, we're going to see it. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's because of the contact between the nymph and the dry. Like you said, it might take a considerable distance of travel Mm -hmm. or a length of drift for that to happen. But I try to kind of set things up so that it happens pretty quick. Maybe within, I'm going to say two seconds, I want my nymph and my dry to have that contact. Because then now I really do have some kind of strike detection. And again, I think that's that's something that people miss quite a bit. They think that, oh, I want slack there so the nymph can kind of do its own thing. Like, no, thank you. (laughs) I want strike detection. And with that nymph kind of towing along behind the dry fly, hopefully again in one seam, then if there's contact and the trout eats it, eats the nymph, then I'm going to know it on my dry fly. I certainly am. And again, we, we will see that dry fly kind of settle in, as you said. It'll just slow down a little bit. All of a sudden right. you realize, hey, it's going slower than the top current. Well, great. Right. Okay, and, and if you keep that going, that you know that you are getting a great drift on your nymph. And once again, with this standard dry dropper style, that's exactly what we're aiming for. And I'll touch on again. You said if you set it up the right way, you can get to that contact point within a couple seconds. Yeah. And where that starts is the cast. How those flies enter the water is what sets you up for the rest of the drift. Absolutely. And if you're just kind of lobbing weights around, you're saying, okay, Mm -hmm. now I have, you know, I have your nymph on. If you're thinking more about casting that nymph rather than actually trying to get that dry fly cast, as I was saying, hmm, then you're not going to get it as quick. You're not going to get that contact as quickly as what you said. Yeah. Maybe, and I never thought about this before, but maybe it's more of a nymphing drift, but a dry fly cast, maybe. It also depends on how much weight you have. You know, sure. are you casting, you know, 75 centigrams of a, of a bigger stone <laughs> fly? Well, yeah, yeah. I will say this. One more thing about the casting and all this. I definitely find that people are afraid to cast nymph rigs or any weight, um, well, with good casting principles. They think that everything is going to get tangled. But the truth is, mm. well, I just said lots of times I have dry fly, nymph, split shot nymph. So four things on the line. And I cast them with this dry fly cast that I'm talking about. Again, not false casting. That's not what I mean by dry fly cast. I'm just talking about nice, crisp turnover, nice, crisp fly casting style loops. With those loops, I have that control like we are talking about. Where do you really want the nymphs to go? Where do you really want the dry fly to go? How do you really want your leader to set up? You're in control of all that with good, I'm going to say dry fly casting principles. Perfect. So that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's how we fish it, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there, I mean, there's a lot more to it, but all you, all you can do is get out there and fish it. Try the light dry dropper style, try the standard dry dropper style and try the tight line dry dropper style. Understand that they are all very different. The only way you're really going to get a handle on all of it is to really fish it, you know? 
All right, anything else, Austin? Yeah, I just want to kind of jump on the point that there's a few different variations in the way uh, that this can play out. Sometimes we're fishing this style, but maybe the, the nymph is so light it almost is like fishing a light dry dropper. Or mm. if we're having a transition yeah. in the day where we're fishing uh, a standard dry dropper and uh, you know, even we start shortening um, that dropper section or something like that, and we get closer towards the surface and we're noticing more mm-hmm. takes and we, you know, we change flies, we could come to realize, oh, maybe, maybe a light dry dropper is the way to go here. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, give and take. Yeah, I often will, with this standard dry dropper style, I'll be close enough that I can keep most, if not all, of my leader all the way off the water up to the dry fly. That's a good point. You know, all of a sudden I'm kind of going tight line dry dropper. And we're going to get to that in the next episode. Great. All right, so this standard dry dropper is the industry standard for a reason. Because it's what you get when you simply add a nymph behind the dry fly. Sometimes that pairing is perfect, and with a good cast and even better mending skills, this standard setup catches fish all day long. But other times, the addition of the nymph without some planning and attention to detail creates a situation where neither the dry nor the nymph is set up to fish very well, and we're stuck with hoping something will happen instead of making it happen. Standard dry dropper is a useful style that solves a lot of problems especially if you surrender to the idea that the nymph is the primary fly being fished. Aim to land both flies in one seam. Get the nymph upstream of the dry fly and drifting in one lane. And keep the tension off the dry fly with good mending. Treat it like an indicator and never be satisfied with the dragging setup. All of this fishes a lot better by staying as close as possible to the target, too observing the differences in surface currents and staying active throughout the drift. Be willing to make those changes. That's the key to success out there. So we have one more dry dropper style left, and that comes in the next episode, part four of this dry dropper style series, tight line dry dropper. And we're excited to share with you a style that is highly adaptable and extremely effective for both flies, not just the dry fly or the nymph. All right, Austin, will you read us out? Yeah, let's do it. So remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 900 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip series, and an ongoing series about fly fishing the monorig. These are short, useful, unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. It really does help. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. all winter see what happens no you go ahead and do that no no no. you prospect you go ahead uh, i think you're better at it you're a younger man you know you know you know you know that ends up to be really good yeah yep <laughs>